Oh, oh. Okay. We're on. So, uh, as I just told John, hey, everybody. Uh, all, actually, you know what? Um, I happened to see the other day that I think Zoe's is like up to 83 viewers or something. And I'm used to these only getting a maximum of like 13. So I can actually officially say, hey, everybody, because it's more, it's probably going to be more than one person at some point. Um, hey, everybody. Um, I know that uh, like three of these ago I said, oh, new format. I'm going to do shout outs. As I just told John, I'm not going to do that this week because. I just, nobody, nothing happened uh, significantly. Um, a couple things did, but I don't remember their handles, and I'm not going to look them up. So so no shout-outs, so sorry. Uh, sorry to be a dick. Um, but anyway, uh, that makes this part shorter. So, Johnny. You, you hate that, don't you? Hello. Johnny, welcome. Oh, God, yeah. again. <laughs> Have you? Uh, I would just say on the Zoe thing, I suspect that you got more views for Zoe because people are used to her flashing body parts on Twitter. And this oh, is a video podcast, so there's a good chance that, that you've got a lot of people watching in the hope that, yeah, she's, uh, I didn't she's know that at increasingly all. known for it. You know, it's funny, though, because um, you and she claim on a at, wait, ASJP, ASJP that, like, nobody's watching, nobody cares, and yet I see more conversations around you guys, and I saw... I, I, she... Her thing for me got a bunch of retweets, and by a bunch I mean like three, which is more than <laughs> more than anything else I get. <laughs> and um, and people, you know, talking about it, I just it, it and um, and referencing it more than I'm used to because uh, this is still microscopic. I would almost say this is nanoscopic. So I, it, it's kind of funny to hear you say that because it's like, wow, actually, you know, people seem to care <laughs> for once. Um, but anyway, uh, that's really all we're going for. We're huh? Talking about it. Oh, I didn't hear you. At That's all. really all we're going for. We just want people to talk about it. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, quiet. That is sort of the struggle, isn't it? But I okay. Before I forget, because I always do. So I said welcome, and now I'm going to say thank you so much. Um, we were able to figure this out, I think, pretty easily. Zoe and I know we were like, well, how about this day? How about that day? And it just didn't work until it did. But you were like, mm, all right, I'll do that. So it's like, yes, power. So um, as I Very start easy always, in that respect. That, what? <laughs> We said very easy in that respect. Have we got a bit of luck? Oh, well, we, we might, yeah. Also, I'm talking over you, which is something that yeah. I often do. Um, but anyway, uh, let's get but to I the, think that partly because of the lag. Yeah. Let's get to the, the big fat one. How the fuck are you? See, I said fuck this time because I feel like I know you. Mm. I'm, uh, uh, I'm good. I'm burnt, as you might be able to tell from the video. Um, oh, actually, I can. <laughs> and aching all over, but... Yeah, it's, uh, I, was, uh, I was playing sports this morning, and it's it's kind of a requirement for Brits to be unprepared for the weather, whatever the weather is, and today it was sunny, so uh, I look like a lobster. <laughs> well, I think it's probably because I'm colorblind that I can't tell. I can tell there's something going on, but I can't tell if it's red or not. Yeah. So you, you sir, you made, an very red. you made an ableist assumption, so shame on you. I did? Oh, dear. Yeah, because you oh, said, well, you know, as you can tell, and I'm like, I can't tell, fuckface, because I can't. Uh, right, yeah. So you, you, you yeah. are officially now ableist. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you that. I, oh, I think I, I've been officially ableist, misogynist, and all sorts for months now. Months? All really? Them. Only months? Anything with phobic or on the end. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> roughly how long I've actually been participating in this, whatever Thanks. the hell this is. You know what, I think there is a little yeah, bit of lag, so thing. I'm going to try to be more careful. <laughs> okay. Okay. I don't know so, if uh, so I think to reduce it. 
Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we have anything to introduce it. So, sorry, everybody, there may be a little bit of a lag. Um, you just said that thing about, uh, about sport, no, about weather, and yet, like, I've been to uh, England twice now, and it honestly just felt like a temperate zone like any other place. So, I'm like, well, you guys, I mean, it's the same shit all the time. It's, it's cloudy or rainy mm. or partially sunny. Like, there you go. That's, <laughs> that's the situation. Like I say, it's a, it's a cultural thing. We have to be unprepared for it. If it snows, we there's, the country shuts down. If it's too sunny, there's panics about hosepipe bans and Hilton sunstroke across the nation. It's uh, <laughs> it's just a British thing. That's funny. Um, so I, I know you've probably gone into all of this stuff before, and I apologize for that, but um, uh, I wanted to, uh, to just know briefly from you, and actually I think you said recently on a podcast, like, uh, the last one or the one previous. Um, I, I know about you and Zoe bumping into each other on, on Twitter, and I know that you guys um, were kind of instantly like, oh, we should do stuff, and you're, you're doing a book, but I, I more specifically need to be reminded what... Okay, so two things, I guess. One, what made you guys say, let's do a podcast? And two, what made you say, let's do a podcast specifically about this issue? I don't know why I'm avoiding saying it, anti-social justice. Because it seems like the first one is, and, and, you know, I'm facing this too, it's this huge marketplace, and everyone can get everything for free, so therefore it's like, you know, you're, you're voluntarily entering a marketplace that is completely flooded. But then the second one is it seems like you're kind of inviting ire almost for the sake of it. So, uh, but that's, obviously, I'm, I'm sort of projecting onto you there, so go ahead and tell me what you think. No, that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of accurate. As it, well, the, the, uh, the inviting Aya thing is pretty much all of what I do on Twitter in this space. I mean, like I tweet other stuff about like game development and writing and stuff like that, but everything to do with social justice, it's more or less all, like, come at me, bro, to the social justice warriors. The, the podcast itself... I, I think it, it was basically on the back of Zoe just said we should do a hangout one night. Like, and there was uh, another another fellow called Skepticism First who was it was in the hangout, but we both realised that we got on quite well. So I said maybe we should try right. recording it and seeing how it sounds. Um, so and then obviously the the subject matter was a no brainer because it's, it was either going to be atheism or social justice. And to be honest, atheism is not really that interesting. <laughs> So um, yeah, we, I, uh, and and she's a card-carrying feminist, so it seemed like a good uh, a, a good starting point. Yeah, I I actually agree with you on the the atheism part. I I found uh, I started atheist asshole. Uh, God, I don't know. It was like probably four years ago now. And when I started it, I only had one goal, which was to add a voice to the to the the movement, if we can use that word. Which obviously I did because it's not really hard to do that. Um, and I I at the time <laughs> I was completely. I was completely unaware of the possibility of making money off that. I was completely unaware of the possibility of having audience. I just did it literally just to say stuff. And I figured, technically speaking, it would be adding a voice because it, you know, it's just, it would be content out there in the ether that if people bumped into it, great. If they didn't. And I was truly yeah. fine with that. And then it wasn't until years later where it crossed my mind, like, oh, I, I probably could have tried to build an audience. Um, I obviously, I mean, I, I have a little bit. I, I think the numbers reflect that, but it's 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 pretty uh, pretty macroscopic still. But the the point is not that. The point is that um, what I found was that with the first few months, um, I had a bunch of stuff to say, and 
partly was I was not working that much, at least in the conventional like nine to five hours since I was freelancing a lot. And so I, I would have chunks of hours where I could just do whatever the hell I wanted. And so I, I did videos, I did um I did that's the the, the the blogging stuff. And then as time went on and employment increased, it was like I kinda had to gauge, well what what do I really want to sit down and, and talk about? And it's funny because um, about this time a year ago, I told myself, okay, just write something because if blogging is you know, uh, web logging, then logging is just talking about stuff. And it worked for about a week. <laughs> I, I wrote little pieces here and there, just, just very short stuff, not articles. And then I thought, you know what? I shouldn't force this. If I don't feel like writing something or I don't have the time to write something, I just shouldn't worry about it. And if that means that my... Um, my activity goes from like 10 posts a week to one maybe, then that may just be the way it goes. And then of course this started and uh, and it was like, well shit, it, it seems like all I'm doing is I'm posting the link to this. And I was like, well hey, you know, so I, yeah, I, I this is a very, very long way of saying that I agree that on the surface of it, it seems like there's a lot to say about atheism and yet I think once we get past the don't like shove your shit and your bullshit in my face, then I don't think there's really nothing after that. And, and in fact, when I talked to Vakula a few uh, weeks ago, he said, you know, usually it's only when there's something to react to. And I was like, oh, that, that totally makes sense. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> a very long way of saying I agree. So, back to you. The atheism thing specifically for me is, is not just that there's not much to talk about in the subject matter itself, but also the fact that I don't, I can't speak for all of Britain, but it's not a big deal over here. Like, there's a lot of apathy atheists in Britain, atheists because nobody forced them to not be atheists. That's how I started. I, I started out just not believing in God because it wasn't rammed down my throat, and then later found reasons to not believe in God. Um, but yeah, it's, that's, I just, uh, I've never really been, a lot of people, um, that I interact with on Twitter, they started out making atheist videos and atheist podcasts and atheist posts and everything, and then later sort of moved on to social justice, whereas I just leapt into the social justice thing, completely <laughs> skipping the atheism thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's true what you say, and actually there's been a lot of study on that phenomenon, how uh, America is so uh, God-heavy, and one hypothesis that I both heard... America's a fat God. Sort of... I'm sorry? This is America as a fat god. That's what that means. I, I don't think god I even heavy. understood that. Sorry. Sorry, I shouldn't have, I should, <laughs> That's right. I shouldn't have tried to make a joke. That was my bad. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. You know, because there, there is a little bit of cutout sometimes. But, well, anyway, I'll, I'll make a brief. The brief thing is just that a hypothesis I've heard is that um, because there was no state religion, any charlatan who could gain an audience, which frankly is not that difficult if you're a charlatan and you're somewhat charismatic, could start a religion, and as we've seen, things like uh, the LDS Church and um, and Scientology, like it, it really isn't that difficult. And especially no. if you add a little bit of money and time to that, it it, it really isn't that difficult. So um, I think one thing that ha that the downside of the whole freedom of speech thing is that because the government didn't say it must be this way, anybody who could sell tickets started selling tickets. And you know some some acts. Lasted. Some were the Beatles. Uh, actually, that's not that's not accurate. The Beatles didn't last. Okay, some were the Stones, and some were like one-hit wonders that kind of came and went. And unfortunately, because they became politically involved, you know, it just kept kept going like that. So that's why I think that you know you guys, it's sort of a non-issue. But there's we could talk about that for hours, and 
it's not that interesting. So, <laughs> so there we are. Yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't have much to say on the matter. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> there were a couple of specific things that I, I wanted to to point out to you um, because I, I really thought they were interesting and I admired them. One was um, I don't remember which episode of your thing it was, but you brought up um, the notion of uh, I'm gonna try to pronounce this correctly so I don't piss anybody off. Negrophobia. Um, and I'm going to tell you what your point oh, was, yeah. and you yeah. can correct me. <laughs> so well. your point was that if the goal in what we call social justice is for there to be justice for everyone, no matter what their proclivity might be, whether they're a person of color, whether they are a trans person, whether they are disabled, whether they are of a minority, I don't know, uh, uh, immigrant community, anything, like that, that in theory, no matter what, they come from, they will feel safe and welcome and engaged in all of that good stuff, which I know on the surface of it, I am completely for it. I think it sounds great. But the point that you made <laughs> was that what if you have one thing that directly conflicts with another thing and, and that the two things conflict with the overall narrative, which was what if you truly have a, a by definition, irrational fear of not only black people but anything black? Because technically it's racist, but it's also a, a international fear. It's it's a disability, and so the two things. And I thought it was a nice point because while I don't know that that actually exists in nature, I can't say that it doesn't. And my question to someone who professes this stuff would be, well, how do you resolve that? Because you can't have it both ways. You can't hate the person for being racist when their racism is based, and actually I would argue that all racism is based in irrationality and ignorance, and ignorance can be cured, but I don't know that irrationality can. So why don't you go ahead and correct me where I was wrong in that. No, no, you essentially you pretty much got the point. I mean, the, the point I was trying to make is that they, um, they, they push this idea that basically you can't tell a victim whether they're right or wrong about their victimhood. So if somebody says they have PTSD from a bad exchange on Twitter, you can't tell them oh, no. that their PTSD is not legitimate. And it's that it's all that kind of thing. But but these things don't exist in a vacuum. So you can't right. just say, I, yes, you say that. We have to take your word for it. So if, a, if negrophobia was a real thing, and, and like you, I have no idea if that's a legitimate sort of phobia anywhere in the world. I know the word exists is a dictionary definition, but I don't know if it's ever been... I didn't know that. Well, I say exist. I found it online. I didn't check to see which had the legitimacy of the dictionary. It might have just been Merriam-Webster or something. But um, if if there is an irrational fear of black people, then how can you? And and the response, by the way, was a lot of people saying that's bollocks. Nobody's that's rubbish. Nobody's uh, irrationally afraid of black people. And uh, and some uh, it's it's just complete dissonance because you can't have people who are victims of a disability that you're not allowed to question and then ignore this one because this one goes against one of your other tenants which is basically yeah. what that the question that that brought up and the the response was pretty much what I expected it to be which was a lot of people saying negrophobia is not real and anyone saying it is real is just a racist. Well and that's the thing is that um, honestly uh, when I first heard and this is when I was very young about acrophobia the fear of heights yeah. I thought it's fucking ridiculous because it's like, well, that's just wanting to survive. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not a phobia. It's not like you yeah. it's not like you have nightmare 
But then as I got older, um, into my 20s, and then it got much more intense when I got older than that, like into my 30s, I realized I really do have acrophobia, and I feel sick to my stomach if I... It, and it's, it's really intense sometimes, and it is irrational, and I recognize it's irrational. Um, I, in fact, one of the recent sort of, I guess, blanket times was um, my wife and I were in Europe last year, and we went to, you know, on the top of some cathedral or other, and I got close to the edge of the wall, but not even close enough to possibly be in danger, just, just close enough to where my brain could kind of do the math and go, that's the, that's the ground and here's you. And instantly, I was just like, I, I need to get out of here. And I didn't immediately get out of there because, you know, stuff was in the way and people were in the way and I couldn't just throw people out of my way because there's a social contract and I didn't want to be an <laughs> asshole. But I was just like, I, I intensely wanted to leave now. And I didn't feel safe again until I got on the ground. And, and, but then, and actually my wife has asked me several times, well, how, how is it you can deal with airplanes? And I was like, because I know within a realm of reason that I'm not going to fall. Even though I'm in a thing that is going through the air, I know I'm not going to fall out of the window. And I, like, there, there's a, a reasonable amount of, I guess, safety that I can expect. I don't know if that makes sense. But there's, um, I've told this story in public... I, 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 but not on, but not on here. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to LA, but if you have not, um, there's the Santa Monica Pier in Santa Monica. It's just a pier. It's not very uh, significant itself. It's just very famous. And as it comes inland, it has this this land bridge that goes over the freeway. And the land bridge is in and of itself not significant. However, there's a section of it where the wall only goes up to about my waist because I'm I'm about six foot and a half an inch. And it's usually packed because it's a huge tourist area, and it's usually got a lot of traffic, so there's a lot of cars. So you can't really go into the the way, you know, the the driveway. And I have a means of comparison. When I was in college and I went to this place, no problem. I had no issue at all. But in the last few years, I have to specifically look directly at the the big like carousel thing or whatever the fuck it's called in order to focus my visual attention away from my immediate surroundings because I cannot move if I do that. Like, I just, I'm terrified of falling over because all it would take is one tourist just bumping me accidentally and i just go flying. And so I guess my point is that I didn't think this was real. I thought it was bullshit. And then when I started to experience it, I realized it, it not only is possible to have a completely irrational fear based very loosely on a factual thing but ultimately just completely bonkers and then have to suffer from that and deal with it. And so um, the whole notion of negrophobia not being real, it's like, well, I imagine that for most people it is not real, but I don't know that it's actually completely realistic to say that it does not exist because, in fact, I don't know about your life experience, but I have known enough people who said ultimately rational things about other ethnicities where, yes, it was mostly based in ethnic, uh, excuse me, in ignorance, but... There was still there was an element of fear there, and the element of fear, in my opinion, was irrational. Because even if you like, yes, ignorance is one thing, but the fear. What am I trying to say? I think the fear can exist separately from the ignorance. Like, it, it is a separate emotional experience than ignorance. And so once you get rid of the ignorance, you don't necessarily get rid of the fear, if that makes any sense. And, and I'm not an expert, so I don't know. But that's why I would argue that even though you were basically using a hypothetical that your hypothetical carries a degree of legitimacy. And I just realized I've been talking for a very long time, and I apologize. So you go ahead and say whatever the hell you want. 
but no, I mean, you pretty much nailed what I was trying to accomplish. I mean, like it's, it's like um, people who are scared of the dark when they're a kid, who, when they grow up, they know there's nothing to be afraid of in the dark. And Well, I mean, unless you're in a dark alley, but that's a different situation. Um, there's nothing to be afraid of in the dark, but that doesn't mean that the, the sort of feeling of being uneasy in the dark goes away. That, that feeling exists by itself without any sort of link to a reason for why. I mean, when you're a kid, you throw monsters in the dark. When you're a grown-up, the monsters. But it doesn't mean that the the fear is completely left. So I get what you mean about the removing the ignorance doesn't necessarily remove the fear. But I mean, you took a very literal sort of spin on it, and really, I was talking completely hypothetically. In that, no, no, it was it, it worked perfectly. Um, but I was talking completely hypothetically in the sense of somebody who has the same reaction to black people as you had to heights. Like I don't like I said I don't know if that exists, but by definition, if it did, then how could you dismiss that person's disability because the fact that it's basically racism clashes with the fact that you're against racism? And a lot, a lot of the responses I get was as if an irrational fear of black people couldn't exist without a society that has oppressed black people and and demonized black people and all this sort of thing. But if that's the case, then how do you explain agoraphobia or or um, or fear of heights, or fear of tarantulas, because last I checked, we haven't got a society that demonizes heights or oppresses spiders. So why does this one fear get to be <laughs> segregated away from the rest of them? It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, I think we've made a point on that one. <laughs> well, I, I, but you're leading into something that really interests me, which is, and, and, okay. and, I, and I mean this absolutely legitimately, this kind of stuff really fascinates me from a sociological and from a linguistic standpoint, because... I feel like a lot of us, uh, not just in the alleged social justice community, but a lot of us in life, I feel like we make demands of society and they're often demands which are either impractical or impossible. And yet we, we give ourselves these narratives, which is ne necessary, I think. It's, it's part of human nature. Um, if I, could, I, I know that that's now not in vogue anymore to say that something's human nature, but I'm just going to go ahead because it's shorthand and I don't give a shit. Um, it's natural. It's like we, we automatically do it. So I'm not saying we should we should necessarily get rid of that uh, mechanic of human existence of creating narratives. But what I always get irritated by is is and I, I told Zoe this is that the narrative seems to trump everything else, no matter what. And what bothers me about that is that it's like okay, well then at some point it's not about whatever you say it's about. It's just about a narrative and maintaining that narrative and. And honestly, to some degree, I, I don't find that terrible because, like I just said, it, it may just be natural. But what I do find irritating is when we then try to to say, oh, no, it's not about that. It's like, well, yeah, but it, it kind of is. And and honestly, like, I don't really see a huge issue with that. It's just why do we have to be dishonest about these things? And I would imagine the reason we have to is, and here I am answering my own question, is that partially to to maintain the narrative, we have to act as if it is a de facto thing and... Because I, this is not quite related, but I don't know if you saw the whole up for debate thing that went on uh, on Twitter, and I understood why it was happening, and I, I kind of I, I kind of sided with the people who were starting, and I, I really understood their motivation. But I think what instantly happened in response was what ultimately is criticism, which is once you start setting up these sacrosanct pillars of you can't question these things because they're just for whatever reason they're they're valid and we like them and we don't want to change them, then I think you. Um, you necessarily stunt progress in all areas because what happens if one of those pillars happens to, as we just discussed, clash 
with something else that arises. Um, you know, like, I, I, I don't know if you've seen Cosmos, but we, we recently watched an episode where they were talking about the age of the Earth, and they said that until a certain point in human history, in Europe, they believed the Earth was 6,000 years old because that's what the Bible said. And, you know, why would they... They had no reason to question that. And then someone came along and was like, well, actually, I think this might not be correct. And the thing is, and, and I know this is an easy target, and I wish I had a better example, but it had, had that one pillar stood up completely without question and, and continued to do so, we would not have progressed in things like geology. Or is it... Yeah, geology. So... When I see people say, we're not going to talk about this anymore, I immediately get nervous no matter what the topic is because it's like, well, but we should because who knows what is going to revolutionize this next. Um, and again, I've talked to you long, so go ahead and say something uh, really inspiring. <laughs> well, semi-related to that, um, one of the reasons that I have these discussions at all, one of the reasons I do this podcast at all, is one of the biggest things that irks me about social justice warriors is the notion that because you can't experience something, you don't get to make a statement about it. You can't say anything about it. You can't be part of the discussion about it. Like, And being a cis white, cis white man, that pretty much I'm out of all the discussions by that reasoning because yeah. I can't experience sexism from the point of view of a woman or transphobia. Um, and, I mean, seriously, uh, like British is its whole own ball of wax. <laughs> yeah, it's well, technically uh, you're oppressing me right now because I'm one of the colonies. I, I, you know, the whole tea thing, Boston we, stuff. So we let you have the place. Right. Uh, last I checked, with you have the uh, the ownership of that place now. <laughs> but, oh, 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 um, well, that's true. The, the <laughs> it's, it's just the 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 notion that that we shouldn't be allowed to talk about something because it doesn't directly affect us. Like, we shouldn't have a say on trans issues because we're not trans. So we can't understand what it's like to be a trans person, therefore you don't get to talk about it. But the thing is, this we're not talking about a colony of trans people existing by themselves on this one colony and not interacting with non-trans people. They live in a world with us. Now, I'm not saying they have to stop and listen and do what we say, but the idea that we shouldn't have any sort of input or that we, by just by de facto, the fact that we're not trans people means that we don't, we're not to be listened to is an absurd opinion. Because one of the things that always makes me laugh when uh, you see a lot of... Um, uh, it's, it's, okay, it's mostly trans people, but a lot of like radical feminists and sort of thing. They, they say repeatedly things like, revolution can't happen without violence. And, uh, and they'll say things like um, cis people need to be smacked about or whatever. But right. how many say um, I'm not I'm not fully up on uh, like racial stuff in America, but like how many movements like women's voters in the UK, for example, how much actual violence got them what they wanted, and how much of it is empathy on the part of the people who were in the position of power? Like did did like male whitey get overthrown by women to get the vote or did they campaign and lobby or, or uh, make their voice heard and enough male whiteys agreed with them to give them that power? It's, I mean, actually, do, we, do we rely on empathy? I, I'm ignorant largely of the women's suffrage movement but I do know that many aspects of the, the specifically racial um, um, uh, civil rights movement in the 60s quite a bit of that was influenced directly by money. And I maintain that more so than any other factor in any cause, 
money and who has it and who wants it and where it's flowing and all that stuff, I think has much, much more direct and um, causal effect on anything than anything else. Because the fact is, is that there are people in this country, as we just saw on the news the last few weeks, at least as of this recording, uh, Clive and Bundy, one of them, who still hold what are now considered racist views and still don't understand why they are, and, and that's not going to change for him. You know, he's not going to get up tomorrow and go, oh, oh, I, I get it, okay, I'm sorry. He comes from a place where he probably believes, I think, that because he is not burning a cross on someone's lawn, he is not a racist. Well, the fact is is that at one time, that is what racism meant in, in America, but it has shifted because as, as one roadblock was cleared, other roadblocks were then visible. And it's not to say that the struggle will never end, but it, it became more nuanced because we realized that there are many different aspects to this one problem. But the, the, the change that is often cited, I think, was basically because... It, it was forced upon people, but not through violent means. Um, you know, I, the thing I'm thinking about right now is, is the, uh, I think it was in, in, in Alabama, the, um, the, the bus, fuck, God, why, where is my brain today? The bus boycott. Because when, when a city loses revenue due to all of the people who normally take its buses not taking them anymore, it it is forced to look at that problem, even if it doesn't want to, even if the individuals behind the problem don't want to deal with it, it has to, because it is losing, there's something, there's got to be something done. Um, you know, you, you see this in business all the time. Uh, a business makes a stupid decision, the customers or potential customers react, and the business has to do something, otherwise they will go out of business. Or in some cases, they do go out of business. Like, um, I, I don't know if you guys saw this in, in UK quite as much, but uh, only about three years ago, Blockbuster Video was still kind of around. And then they did this service and that service and this this little promise here and there. But all of it was way too late because the, the nature of how people view media had already significantly shifted and they just couldn't catch up. And so they went out of business. They're gone now. You know, you cannot find a Blockbuster anywhere. And that has nothing to do with, you know, soci sociology or anything, but, but it does illustrate that if you want to remain relevant, you have to pay attention to your marketplace. And I would suggest that many changes which are now cited as positive social changes only changed because the government and the businesses involved in them had no other choice. And I'm not to say that they're all evil, it's just that, in my opinion, people don't change unless they really have a direct incentive to do so, and, and, and they can see that. Because why would they otherwise? You know, if there's no foreseen benefit, then then there's no sort of foreseen benefit. So um, I, I think that's part of it. But yeah, here I am ranting again. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's, uh, that's quite interesting. Look at it. I mean, it's actually it's interesting. Side note: Have you noticed that a lot of social justice left, left, left wing people very against capitalism? Which is kind of ironic, given your analogy that you just used. <laughs> I, well, I, I don't but, uh, get that. Um, I'm not saying it's wrong. I just don't understand what the because the, no, I, neither do I. I. I mean, I just I, I would like someone to explain to me what that's about. It's it's kind of like when I actually I feel the same way about um, when I hear um, people on the right say, "Oh, communism is evil." It's like, well, I, I don't think it is. It's it's not. It's just a it's just a social theory. And from the very little that I've read about it, as I understand it. It actually makes a lot of sense, especially in its context. Um, you know, giving the factory workers control over the factory, and that to me makes is, a lot of sense. Is communism is evil. Well, is I mean, that, it, not just like leftover from the fifties. Well, I, I, yeah. I, I feel like um, it has been used as a label uh, pejoratively against a lot of people, including our president. 
Um, but when I ask people, well, what's so bad about communism, they say things like Stalin, and, and I was like, right, that's a man who <laughs> did terrible things. I didn't ask about him. I asked what is bad about communism. I really don't understand what's bad about it. I can understand what extrapolated in whatever sense you want to take could be bad, but the notion of people owning the property on which they work, if they're farmers, or the factory in which they work, if they're factory workers, I don't understand what the problem is there. I'm not saying it'll work, but I don't get what the evil is. Maybe you can tell it. <laughs> the, one, uh, the one argument I would say against uh, communism, the, it's not so much evidence-based as more uh, observationally based. Look at all the countries in recent years that have communism as their thing or have had communism. Right. It's never a good country. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it never and seems I, I agree to be, be a good country. Uh, but that's that's why I whenever I have. But a that's family, just looking at. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, but that's just looking at the countries. It's not actually looking into why they're not the best of countries, or like North Korea or anything like that. It's not necessarily. Right. It might be just you know, uh, was it correlative instead of corroborative or something? Yeah, or yeah, 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 correlative instead of causative. Yeah, yeah, well, but and and even let's say it is causative, the idea in my opinion, of the factory workers owning the factory is in itself not evil. It's just an idea. It's, it's mm. hey, instead of this guy up on the hill owning the factory and telling us what to do, and we have no reason other than the meager wages that he doesn't want to give us having us go to work every day, how about we own the factory and the green widgets that it produces? Therefore, we have a direct um, incentive and a direct control over what we produce. Therefore, we can affect it... And actually, I've seen this model play out a little bit. I think um, there's a there's a co-op, and I think Colorado, a, a bread factory, a bakery, where it is a true co-op, where every employee owns an equal share of the company, and every employee makes an equal amount of money, including the CEO. And so every employee, and every employee can vote in the board meeting. Like, and and I'm not saying this works everywhere all the time, but it does seem to work in that one company where. It really, truly is a personal investment for every employee, and because the last company I worked for, which I won't name, um, I was paid for shit, and I worked at times brutal hours. And if we sold more green widgets, I just didn't. It's you know, it's like office space. I didn't see another dime. Now I'm not saying they owed me anything, but when I got a better offer, I was gone because I was like, I don't have any reason to stay here, <laughs> like. I don't give a shit about you people. You don't give a shit about me. You you don't care what I want. I don't care what you want. And seeing the little newsletter saying how great we're doing has no effect on me whatsoever. Like that, that's great for the CEO. That's great for the shareholders. But I don't care. It, it doesn't. The theory, the theory on capitalism, really, and and that's the the big problem with capitalism isn't so much what it is. It's how it acts in practice. But that's meant to be the good part of it. It's you don't like you get a better offer and, and you go and then that right. encourages the company you've left to make better conditions for staff because they know that if they don't there's, there's another company down the road and they're just going to leave yeah. that's yeah. that's the idea behind capitalism obviously in practice it doesn't always work like that well and I again I, I don't know what the objections are to capitalism on a whole except I would argue it tends to swing toward the oppression of some peoples because there are advantages to that. But then I would also argue that probably any economic system swings towards that because in any economic system, there's probably ultimately going to be someone who benefits more than someone else. And as long as that's true, there is always going to be an upper class and there's always going to be an underclass. And 
I don't know enough about economic theory to say much else about it, but it just it seems to me like I, I guess what I understand is why pick on capitalism specifically, and, and in fact I would argue that those who pick that's on what capitalism, we've got. oh well, <laughs> well no no I, I know I know I, I, that's that, that's, that's that is, what we're using, but but I, I guess because they wouldn't be complaining about a relative thing otherwise they need to be complaining about capitalism because that's what we have and we need to change what we have if we had communism they'd probably want to change communism. Well, I guess that's opinion. sort of what I was leaning towards. Is I feel like some people out there are complaining about what they're complaining about because if they didn't, they would have they have nothing to complain about. And complaint on the surface, I don't have a problem with. It's just one of the conversations I've had with people that that I have found fun is I've said, look, I agree with you. I think you're completely right. And what's the solution? Because all I'm hearing is people who look like me are terrible. Which fine, totally cool with that. I really have no problem with that at all. But I'm not going anywhere, at least until I'm dead. So, how do we change this? You know, and and most times I feel like I don't. All I hear is, "Well, you need to shut up." It's like, okay, great. I am now shut up. The problem still seems to exist. So, that didn't work. <laughs> like, just me being quiet didn't fix everything. So now what? And then there, and I feel like I hear, "Well, you need to do this." I'm like, okay, great, great. I'm now doing that. Um, problem seems to still exist, so you know, and that's why I told Zoe. I, what you're describing would be their worst nightmare. Right. That it would, it would, it would absolutely be their worst nightmare is if they complained about something and the the people they were complaining to just went, okay, right, we'll do that, and then they complained about something else. All right, right, fine, we'll do that, and they complained about, and this just carried on, because honestly, it feels like a lot of them are just there for the outrage and they're there to complain and it's not really... It's When you get to the point where people are complaining because a a private company, or a, I guess public company, but when Twitter changed their policy and they get all up in arms about being stalked and harassed on a public platform that hasn't really changed how public it is, it's just changed the way it is public. Mm, I didn't <laughs> know that, about that. At that point, you, you're not complaining. Oh yeah, they, uh, a couple of toward the end of last year, they, they changed the um, the way blocked people are handled. Okay. So the way it is now, if you block someone, uh, they can tell because if they try to follow you or retweet you or put you on a list or anything like that, it will say you're not allowed to perform this action. And what Twitter wow. um, their their um, reasoning was basically if. The people who are, quote, harassing, like the, the trolls mm -hmm. and the people who are just, like, going after someone and, and having a go at them nonstop, if they can't tell that they're blocked, they're, eventually they'll give up and go away. But what happens now is they can tell they're blocked, they go make a sock account, and then they carry on, and then they make another sock account, and they carry on, and they just keep making right. sock account. Depends how into it they are. So Twitter's reasoning was if they can't tell whether they're blocked, why would they bother making sock accounts? Because they don't know if they're doing it for nothing. Um, but the the left the left 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 people basically just said this is making Twitter's making it easier for our harassers to harass us somehow. Yeah, despite I, the fact that they still can't see anything they say. <laughs> right. I, I mean, see, you know, I tell me what you think about this. The many, last few years, I've I've found it extremely interesting how social stuff has played out online because I it. Damn it! I wish I knew more about this stuff, and I didn't ask Adrian when she was on because I forgot to. Um, it it seems like basically what has happened is we have stripped ourselves voluntarily stripped ourselves of social contracts that exist in direct personal communication, like what you and I are doing, even though we're not in the same room. And we've 
yeah. placed the same expectations on social. Ah, damn it. We have left the same expectations of social interaction there. So, we, if I could use a terrible analogy, we're still driving the car, but without any brakes. We voluntarily took the brakes out. We're like, we don't need brakes anymore. They're not necessary, and in this new kind of car, we don't want them. So, we're taking them out, and now we're going, oh shit, I can't stop the fucking car. <laughs> and I, that is a terrible analogy because I, I can't even good think analogy. what would. What would no, it's not. That's a perfect analogy. <laughs> But what I've noticed then is, um, and here, I'll, I'll use myself as a perfect example. I've used this example before. So many, many moons ago, um, I saw one of those stupid fucking things about how, like, oh, you know who else wanted gun control? Hitler and Powell. And I'm not making a statement on gun control <laughs> one way or the other, but the, the thing was dumb because it was like, well, that's actually not what Hitler did. And, and I, I found it on a friend's husband's thing. I just happened to see it. And I made the really stupid decision of reposting it on my thing, uh, my timeline on, uh, on Facebook. And I said, how many uh, logical fallacies can you name? Now, I meant that mostly in, in good-hearted jest. I really wasn't trying to say he was an idiot. I was just, I was, you know, we all make these mistakes. We all make fallacies all the time. So I, I was just kind of having a little bit of fun. Um, needless to say, he was not very pleased. And I don't really blame him for not being very pleased, but he wasn't very pleased. And at some point, he basically said... In not so many words, you're being an asshole, and I have like I have welcomed you into my home, and you're being an asshole about me in public, and and I'm not quoting at all. So if he ever sees this, I'm not quoting, and and I'm still I'm kind of siding on him, because what I the mistake I made was I basically ignored social stuff in order to have a bit of fun, and that was on me. But then what I noticed was interesting was I thought to myself, you know. In some ways, I'm right here. Like, the fallacies that I pointed out really were there. You know, I'm not wrong about that. That's factually accurate. But I thought, probably what's going to happen here is he's much more willing to wage this war than I am. And he has a lot more invested in it than I do. And so if I don't defer to him, I'm going to lose this. And what's going to happen is it's probably going to pretty significantly damage my relationship with my friend. And that's not something I'm willing to do, you know. So I thought, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to not say, well, actually this and actually that. I'm just going to say, you know, and, and, and I don't remember how I pulled out, but I, I basically just was like, you know what, I'm sorry or whatever. Actually, I don't think I said I was sorry. But what I found interesting about that after the fact was the facts were unchanged. The facts were all the facts. The facts had no emotional attachment to them. But because I tore off the veil of social interaction, suddenly it was his passion versus my not really caring that much. And obviously, his passion trumped my not caring that much. And I have seen this in Twitter. I've seen this face. I've seen it all over the place where it's like people just become nasty to each other seemingly for not really any good reason. And it would never happen if they're just talking to each other. And what I've really started to wonder is what is it about the, the way that we interact online that, one, removes the veil, and, two, then seems to require that we instantly go for each other's jugulars. And I don't have an answer for that yet, but, you know, give me one. I would say the obvious one is that you're not face-to-face. -face. I mean, there's a certain risk of, for example, physical violence that comes with right. getting on the wrong side of somebody in <laughs> real life that you don't have to worry about in any sense when you're behind a keyboard. But, um, but not just that, I mean... Even taking aside the physical violence aspect of it, 
it's just when you're not face to face with someone. I mean, like, I'd be much less likely to start getting into it with you now than I would be with you on Twitter. Right. If you get what I mean. Yeah. It's, it's a lot easier to, to rant at someone from a keyboard than it is to a face, especially when the face is in the same room. But but even that, I'm I'm kind of fascinated by because it's like, well, you know, let's remove the physical. You know, there's no way you can hurt me in in this forum. There's it's impossible. You would have to reach a very very far distance, and you don't have that long of an arm. Hmm. So, I but but you're right. Like we are not going to start screaming each other over this forum. It's just not going to happen. And and even if I were to say your your mom is a bitch and I don't like her and I slept with her last night and she was terrible in bed, like you're probably not going to start. You're probably just going to get tense and, and just like. So why is it, and, and I almost wonder if on some level we are all of us sociopaths willing to kill each other over nothing, but that's beaten out of us as we get older. Because I just yesterday, I'm not going to name names, but I just yesterday saw on um, a friend's timeline, uh, someone who's, who's been on here, um, a, tw- a, a picture of a tweet by someone else whom I don't know personally but I know of, where the person in the t- who made the tweet said about this friend, I blocked him because of these things. And I found it interesting because, um, not because it was blocking, but because it was obviously sort of bragging. Like he was telling other people, I have done this thing. Hey, all of you in this group, I have done this thing. And for this reason. And then the friend pointed out that the reasons cited were all not true. So I was like, huh, that's so interesting. So it, it probably on some level wasn't about what had transgressed, the crime that had been committed. It was much more about, hey guys, hey look, I, I blocked this guy over here. And I thought, and this is what I was talking about in the beginning, like, if the person said, literally, I'm a part of this club and as a club member I have blocked this person who is not in our club, I, I would have appreciated that. I'd be like, okay, cool, like he doesn't want him in the country club. But that's not what happened, and 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 what I find, and this is it. Okay, tell me, tell me, what you think of this? This is this is the thing that really bothers me. If the goal is evidence-based stuff, and if the goal is justice, and if the goal is trying to reach the best theories, scientifically theories, to explain the world in the most accurate way possible, and if the goal is to bring about the greatest amount of justice for the greatest number of people possible. Wouldn't we want to get rid of things like, he did this to me this one time, oh wait, no that's not true at all, in fact here's the evidence that I didn't do that. Wouldn't we want to get rid of those things? Wouldn't there be a direct incentive to get rid of that stuff? And, blah, you know, tell me. Well, yes, but people don't work like that. Okay, that's it, you're off, fuck you. Yeah, no, you're right. (laughs) That's failing in all... Now, the biggest failing in, all, in just about every system that humans have devised is humans. It's, it's always us that are the problem. And it's, I just I just don't okay, get... Okay. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. My biggest problem with social justice seems to be they're striving towards an ideal world and acting like that ideal world is already in place. I don't think that ideal world's ever going to... There's always going to be arguments. There's always going to be some sort of disagreement over this. I mean, like, take um, uh, men and women's rights regarding reproduction and abortion, for example. Right. That issue is never, ever going to be satisfactorily solved by, you know, for satisfactory both sides. Because there's an inherent inequality in that women are always going to be the ones carrying the baby around. Yeah. And it's and they're the ones who have to go through the pain of labor, and they're the ones who have to um, 
like basically deal with all the the initial and what happens afterwards that's up for debate what happens before I suppose that could be up for debate but that inherent inequality is always going to be there and while that's there that issue is never going to get solved it's never going to be agreed upon so why act like there is an ideal well the, the ideal standard for these people is the one that suits them so if you're a woman then the ideal standard is women have all the say if you're a man the ideal standard is you get your fair say even if it is sort of you know, in, treat, in uh, steps on the women's rights, because the biggest argument for men is whether the baby should be born in the first place if they don't want it. But then, of course, you're stepping on bodily autonomy because you're asking something to be done to a woman's body. So yeah. it's it's just it's a big mess of a situation that's never going to get solved. And I don't think there is an ideal world for us to, to strive for. I just don't think it exists. I, no, I I agree with you, and actually, I I have found that's, this. That's, uh, my optimistic view for the future. <laughs> I, I have found this, uh, and uh, we're we're uh, we're we're nearing the end. But I I found this a struggle recently for myself because I have been pro-choice my entire life, and I have re-examined that, and I've always come back to it because I feel like it is the better of, if we can say it, all evils. But I, I do too feel that when I see things like it's my body, therefore, and I'm like, well, but what if you are in a married relationship with a man? because that's simple for me to understand. And before you got pregnant, you both decided you wanted to have a baby. And for whatever reason, you now decide you don't. Well, doesn't he have any say in that? Because it sounds like it was a consensual mutual decision when it started. Now, I'm not saying that the government should have the right to come and say, well, you have to, but I, I think it can get very complicated very quickly and... Most cases that I've heard of, like, oh, a, a woman, I don't know, had a one-night stand, a woman was raped, a woman, um, whatever, like, was with a boyfriend, she's not with him anymore, there's a, 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 a is it congenital disorder? You know, any, any one of the variables you want to name, something happened she doesn't want it anymore, I have no problem with the woman saying on her own, I don't want to do this. Except I wonder sometimes, what if it isn't that simple? What if there are, what, what if it's three people? What if they, uh, three people have decided to start a family together and two of them don't want to anymore? It, it just, it's just, it gets so complicated so quickly. And this is actually why I think beyond the basic legislation of allowing women within the state to, to get the procedure if they so choose, I think that's the end <laughs> that it should probably be because once you enter more variables into the process, it, it necessarily gets more complicated legislatively and that's where people really, you know, as you said, their, their freedoms get stepped on. And I, I don't think there is a solution. I completely agree with you because, yes, at some point someone, a person is going to have to carry the child and the person carrying the child is going to naturally feel more, I, I suppose, entitled to a say than anybody else in the equation. And to some degree, I would kind of agree with that. But then, in, you know, all the other variables I just mentioned. Yeah, it's just, it's, I, I think with, what you said is true. With regard to the, I would say with regard to the the idea of, like, say, a man-woman um, entering a relationship under the sort of unspoken agreement or spoken agreement that there's going to be a child and then the woman changes their mind. I would always err on the side of the child not being born. It sounds horrible. <laughs> but I would always <laughs> I err on the faster. side of the child not being born. Because the, for me, the, wor the worst thing in this world is children that are brought into the world in less than ideal situations. Yeah. So, like, I mean, if, if it was up to me, 
uh, and, it, and this is why it will never be up to me. But if it was up to me, um, it, it, breeding would be something that you had to get approval for. You shouldn't be, yeah. just be allowed to just have, have kids and then we'll deal with the mess afterwards, sort of thing. Like, so, so I mean, like the the whole. T to be fair, if you had to, it, it sounds like someone from a sci-fi dystopian future. But if you had to get a license to have a child, it would kind of solve the. Um, the issue, you know, with what happens post-child if the father's not into it or if he's not around or whatever, because presumably if there was some kind of vetoing on whether you can have a child, if there was some kind of license to be able to breed, then you would have to prove that you were capable of looking after that child with your situation. If that situation included a husband or wife or, you know, a partner, right. then that would be taken into account. But if the partner wasn't there or didn't want to be there, then that situation wouldn't include them. And if you weren't able to you know, care for the child by yourself, then you wouldn't get your license. So, in in that far fetched and uh, probably never going to happen future, that would solve that part of the problem. But yeah, it's uh, I, don't, I don't think we should be treating uh, childbirth like it's a privilege. It should be a, uh, I mean, like, like it's a, a basic human right. It should be a privilege. And on that note, John, um, <laughs> we we're back, we're pretty much out of time. So, um, as I have said before. I'm not going to do any more pluggy for myself because it's right fucking there. So um, it is back to you. Anything you want to to share about plugging, and then once you're done with that, then we'll go to final words. So why don't you just tell us whatever you want to uh, to have people have? I, I just get. I mean, the podcast we've already mentioned. That's really the only project I'm involved with that's 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 live. That's there. Is, uh, I don't like to plug stuff that I'm working on because I'm a perennial never finisher. <laughs> so and, I might uh, mention it and it will never that, Even though people watching this probably already know. Thegenderbias.com. <laughs> uh, Thegenderbias.com. No, uh, yeah, if you, if you just, my Twitter's got links at the top to just about everything that I'm involved with, including that. So Okay. And that's that at B -B -B -A. Oh, I'm sorry, you say it. Uh, at B-E-A-G-R-I-E. -E. All right. Okay, so um, to to be more formal about this, um, I, I I feel like we only scratch the surface, but uh, but hey, it was a good surface to scratch. Thank you, John. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I I'm glad to have been able to get you and, and Zoe on so quickly because I I honestly thought it would take months because I figured you guys were probably being bombarded, but I I was uh, it was fun. I'm really glad we had a chance to uh, to talk one on one because every other time it's just been over uh, over Twitter and and my listening to what you guys say. And uh, so with that, um, in case you need an explanation, I'll just give it to you. Uh, now it's whatever you want to say, short or long, one word, 10,000, and I will just cut you off rudely when I think you're done. So final word is to you. <laughs> well, uh, first off, thank you very much for having me on. It's been an honor. Um, yeah, my, my final word would just be just be nice to each other and stop looking at what group is is harassing or privileging or whatever and just act like a decent human being. <laughs>